Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we continue to discuss Carl Jung and some personal tales of synchronicity, in addition to the relative flexibility of space and time. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail your spirit has been longing for. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Oh, hey, fellow geoteers, those who like our spirituality with a twist. I, I love the fucked up beginnings, Eric. Honestly, I, they're, they're the funniest to me. <laughs> I expected like a little thing to pop up on the screen, but it didn't. Well, you know, you can't rely on technology or podcast hosts. Usually there's a little thing that says, it says, okay, I got it. And I click a little thing and it didn't get there. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm supposed to say something. Oh, uh, you know. Oh, well, little imperfections make the journey worthwhile going. They do. All right. So we we will look shockingly similarly dressed to the last episode. <laughs> the that, those guys the didn't even change their shirts. Skeezy. <laughs> okay. Anyways. We were doing this episode on Jung and we wanted to talk about synchronicity a little bit, which is probably the yeah. last big idea to kind of get to him, especially if you can think about how he thinks about love and relationships. Here's my little prop, Jung and love. Um, so synchronicity. Okay, what can you say about this one? We got to do the best job we can with this for a little bit. They'll put the last context and we'll try to maybe tie in why this is so important, but yeah. okay. Jung wrote this book called synchronicity, a non-causal connecting principle. And what he's trying to explain is that there's a kind of a weird, I let's just kind of say it like how it is. There's a weird magic in the world that can happen where there will be external events that will seem to have really deep meaning and will connect to what's happening in what's in one's inner world in ways that almost look like weirdly coincidental or shockingly interconnected. But he says non-causal in the sense that there's no way of figuring out how it could be that the external world could be so parallel to what's happening in your own mind and your own life in any obvious like empirical scientific way. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to be scientific about this thing. And he gives examples of this. Some of them are more deeply clinical and some of them are more like kind of like anecdotal and then we'll kind of get like why this connects with relationship and love for him ultimately too but he tells us his first story like some french writer and he's eating like some kind of special dessert pudding thing mm. <laughs> and his neighbor's there and it's a, like somehow this makes an impression on him it was some kind of thing that he normally didn't eat and then flash years into the future and he's in a restaurant and he's eating this. He gets this same dish that he hasn't had since when he was a kid. And he remembers with his friends there. Oh, that's so weird. When I was there, I remember when I was a kid and our neighbor was there, Mr. So-and-so. And you know where this is going. He looks around the restaurant and the dude's there <laughs> at another table. He's like, oh, my God, it's Mr. Whatever. 
<laughs> you know, and he said, look at, I'm eating this plum pudding or whatever the hell it was. Okay. We go into the future. We know where the story's going already. He's at a Christmas party and he's eating this dish. Someone serves it there. And he's like, oh my God, I've, this is the third time in life I've had this. It's so, so unusual for me. Uh, and then he starts recollecting, you know, it's a funny story. I had it when I was a kid and I had it in this restaurant and this guy who was the neighbor was there like both times. Ooh, we know where it's going. So then there's a knock on the door and they go to the door and who's going to be there. We already know the answer. It's the neighbor. <laughs> and he comes stumbling in out of the snow. And the weird part was he went to the wrong house. He was supposed to be at the one next door and he just walked into the wrong place. That's synchronicity. Mm -hmm. Now that's not very meaningful because who cares about the plum pudding and, you know, but Jung kind of like talks about these ideas and he describes things with patience. Like he describes one that's obviously very sad and very powerful where he had a patient who was having some chest symptoms and he was concerned. So he said, you better go to another part of the facility. You know, they were in some place where he could just make the instant referral. Then he gets a call on the phone in his office and it's the guy's wife. And she starts going, uh, is my husband okay? And Jung is like, well, yeah, I'm sorry. I just had to refer him. And she says, oh my God, he's dead. And she says, well, no, why would you think that? And she says, all these birds landed on the house. And every time all these birds have landed on the house, like someone close to me has died. And Jung is like, okay. And it turns out, of course, that the guy had passed away. Mm. So he has stories like that. I guess one of the other really famous ones is there's a woman who's reporting a dream about like a scarab, you know, like these Egyptian bugs or whatever. And then there's a fluttering at the window. And he opens the window and it's not a literal scarab, but it's the closest thing you would have in that vicinity. Like a giant beetle flies into the room. And so he had these experiences like this with people that weren't, that were much more meaningful than the plum pudding. And he started going, okay, what's happening here? Why is it that the external world seems to like produce these things that parallel what's happening in people's lives in this funny way? What does it tell us? And he's, again, he was trying to be scientific about it rather than just saying Yahweh did it or Allah or whatever. You know, he was trying to say, well, what does it really mean when you like take a step back and we look at it outside of just maybe framing it in that kind of maybe more religious context where there's some external power that's just doing this, you know, and we're within their dream. Brahma did it because you're in Brahma's dream or something. So anything can happen like that. He tries to talk about it in, in this other way. And then, you know, it makes a big, you know, big influence. Like he, he has multiple stories like this, you know, and you can kind of keep going on. There's another really famous one where there was a patient who had this delusion, schizophrenic patient who had this delusion or part of his schizophrenia was thinking that the sun had like a giant penis. <laughs> and uh, I laugh because I used to have to draw this on the board when I was teaching this in class. <laughs> now, occasionally I have to teach it in class. I draw it on a whiteboard. Here's the sun with a giant penis. <laughs> and it was like ejaculating through space, like onto the earth, mm. you know? And so the earth was being fertilized by, you know, the reproductive powers of the sun. And, um, so Jung was like, okay, that's a weird delusion. All right. And then this makes a big difference, a big deal in his life. He was starting to collect these mystical old books. And one of them was from this cult of Mithras, which is like this old kind of Roman mystery cult thing, a little militaristic, I guess. 
as far as I understand it. But anyways, he was looking at one of these old books and that exact image is in the book. And he's like, what the hell is happening? Mm. You know, there's a sun ejaculating through like something so close. And he started going, there's no way in the world that guy could have, you know, known that image. He's not like from the cult of Mithras. Right. You know, like that cult doesn't exist anymore. So part of that was archetypal, I think. You know, he must be seeing an archetype. But then he would also start asking the questions of like, what are the odds that I have some patient producing that thing? And then some dude sends me this book like the next week. Like, what the hey? And I you can make out of it whatever you're gonna like try to figure out about that. But you know, this is his interest. You know, he and I guess he tried to frame it in the most scientific way he possibly could. Just to say, if we take out the idea of like an external controller of creating divine providence or something. And maybe you like that idea. You want to keep it. He just wanted sure. to like take, take a step back and just go, life is weird like that. And, you know, the more you're open to it, the more you sort of notice that those kinds of things happen. I guess that's the intro to the concept. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let me throw it open to you. What do you want to say about it up at this, up to this point? Well, for me currently, you know, we are, by the time this episodes get published, all the retreats that I'm going to be leading will have already occurred. So I'm speaking into the future, future, future. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as I'm getting getting ready to do this here over the next couple of weekends, um, there has been so much more synchronicity in, in my own life, you know, just and small things and large things. One, I was walking with my dog uh, yesterday or the day before. And there's a little trail by my house and it's, it's slightly wooded, you know, and um, there was a down tree. And when I looked at the tree, it looked like the face of a deer. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. It's, but we kept walking, you know, and then, uh, you know, however long in, I turned around and head back home. And as soon as I turned around, what was behind me by about 10, 15 feet, a deer. Yeah. And I only see deer on this trail once or twice a year at most. And given that there's like such a, a number of synchronicities that are occurring, it just was first of it's very majestic because it's just us, you know, nothing Beautiful else around animal, us. And there's the, the like shamanic aspect of deer as like a shamanic archetype or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What does that entail for you? Yeah. And that it's right. Literally their tail, you know, but like, yeah. <laughs> but well, like I'm like entail, but yeah. Entail. Yeah. yeah. But like it was there, you know, so I think these types of things, it's, you know, like deja vu, you know, this is, has deep meaning for people because it's unscripted, you know, and there's some kind of repetitive nature that's giving you the authentic nature. Perhaps we, we, we hark in a previous episode all the way back from, <laughs> from half an hour ago. That's right. It's you know, episode, but like yeah. it, it, it gives you that idea of not being separate from your you're, kind of you're, environment personally fascinated by these things because you like to have that positive feedback from the environment in a way yes. that you feel like you're not controlling or something. And you yes. feel like, okay, that's a sign that I'm in the right space. Yeah. Which yeah. is like, yeah. you know, shamanistic at its root or something. Like even the whole idea of a bunch of birds landing on the house is like an omen. Mm -hmm. it's omen right. Mm -hmm. So it's the kind of things that people have been talking about for a long time. And I guess in Jung's world, he was kind of going, well, okay, maybe as modern people were, turning away from these kinds of ideas because it doesn't seem quote unquote scientific or whatever. And I think he was trying to go, let's go back and reintroduce an openness to these kinds of things. Yeah. It also got him interested in like, we have our episodes with Dean Radin that we did back in the day. Yeah. 
right? Where he was interested in like psi research, meaning like ESP, extrasensory perception kind of stuff and all that. And so he was like in synchronicity. I've read it a couple of times. I haven't read it in a while. So, but you know, this is basically right. the what he starts talking about. He starts looking and saying, well, what's the power of the human mind and what's the interconnection, interconnection between the human mind and the external world? That's what he's trying to ask the question about, mm -hmm. right? We also did episodes on like mind-only Buddhism around this thing too, right? But like his way of talking about Psy is kind of interesting then. What Jung tries to say is, there's some way in which there's a connection between the mind and the, and the external world in some way that's more subtle than what we get. So he doesn't kind of look at psi as, or like ESP type things as being the cards are magically sending a signal back and then the person knows what the next card's going to be or something. If you do like a psi experiment, guess what the sure. card is going to be. He seems to try to make this point that the mind is connected to the world in some other more subtle way that we haven't been really fully open to looking at yet. Mm. And he makes the argument in a weird way. He kind of goes through the side research that was popular at his time, which is this guy, I guess, J.B. Ryan, out of like North Carolina. I guess he's a big person in the, you know, like in, in the, in the ESP type side research of that time. But they did these research with cards and Jung talks about it in synchronicity where you'd have like five different kinds of cards with different images on them. Right. And then people would have to guess what the card would be. Yeah. And if you do the math on it, you're supposed to guess at 25%, right? You got a one in five shot. So people, the statistics should be 20%. But apparently, and I guess Dean Radin would talk about this, you know, when you actually do those things, people do better than that. Right. So they do better than chance. So Jung right away is going, okay, that means that the mind is connected to the external world in some weird way. But apparently in these psi experiments that were done by this, I think it's J.B. Ryan at the time, it gets even weirder because distance didn't matter. So you, someone could be doing the cards on the other side of the world, like they did these things, and the person would have to guess. And they'd still do better than 20%. Hmm. Some people would do fantastic too. Some people would really like knock it out of the park. You know, So hmm. there were outliers who were really good. I think Dean Radin talks about that too, but I don't know if he says anything about that in our episode. I don't know that we talked about that. I know we talked I about the, ran the the sequel, you know, like the random number generator yeah. movement away from probabilities, from probability's sake, you know? Yeah. I mean, like the idea is that some people might have a talent around this, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. But then he says one other weird thing about this, which is that it doesn't even matter the time either. So space doesn't matter is Jung's point. But then he says in these experiments, time doesn't matter either because people could write down their guesses and then you can shuffle the cards and people can still do it. Huh. <laughs> so that's the part I think that fascinates Jung in looking at this. And he's obviously a very bright guy and, and he's trying to figure out what would that, what would that really mean? As he's thinking, because he did, ex he did psych experiments. I mean, part of his work was experimental psych. And so he's going, what is this telling me? It's telling me that space doesn't matter and even time doesn't matter. So he starts going, that means there's some connection between the mind and the external world. And it's not even exactly causal. Like the cards are sending out signals. They haven't even been fucking shuffled yet. <laughs> you know, I think it's his idea. So he starts going through and saying, okay, there's some entwinement, entwinement between the mind and the external world in some way that we don't fully understand. I think is the dominant idea at the end of this. And again, he's trying to be very scientific. Like he, he does the project with like Wolfgang Pauli who's a real famous physicist, mm -hmm. if you don't know that world. And he's the guy who comes up with the neutrino and, you know, all kinds of comes up with uh, 
you know, up and down spin and orbital shells. Like he's a hardcore physicist who was also a patient of Jung's, mm. you know, and they do this thing kind of together because they're trying to present it in the most, you know, like let's be neutral and scientific about this way possible. Let's be so a anyways. neutrino. <laughs> let's be a neutral neutralino or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's the gist of that. The other thing that comes up in this thing, and I think why the emotional part and the love part matters so much. And then we'll look at it next time when we record about Jung's actual personal life is the, the idea that people will do worse than these psi experiments as you keep repeating them because people get bored. Mm. So the idea is when the mind is active and interested, then they can do this thing. It connects with the environment in some way. But when people get bored or more kind of dulled out, well, then they, the ability seems to disappear. You know? So what Jung then starts talking about is the idea that like, this is going to be especially, and this is the, I think the general concept, I think Dean Radin would agree when there's more emotion involved, when there's more at stake, then the, the ability kicks in. This so is especially prominent when there's something else going on, when there's something at stake, when there's emotion and things. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because there's, um, you know, some, new age kind of, I don't know, I don't know if I want to call them new age, but you know, people who have a, a larger name in the, you know, new age kind of popular community. Uh, one guy by the name of Joe, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Yeah. I hear his name occasionally. I don't know too much about him to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So I've read one of his books becoming supernatural and, and he's influenced by, to, uh, by Tibetan Buddhist meditation for sure. You know, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that he has people do, because, you know, again, he does good work. So I'm not poo-pooing on it at all. I'm just saying one of the things that is prevalent in his work and other people's work that's similar is this idea of creating um, something that you, a vision that you want to see, right. That you, or something that you want to occur, but then you also have to create the uh, emotion behind it. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And, and which is sort of different actually at, from, from like a, a, Vajrayana Tibetan Buddhist meditation, like they're not really, you're not really generating a particular emotion. Well, I had that debate at the Dalai Lama's monastery. Okay. I debate too strong of a word, but I was discussing this with one of the American practitioners there, a really nice lady. Sure. You know, we were kind of kicking this around, and I was saying I had done a Yamantaka retreat, which was one of the more forceful um, of the uh, Buddhist images, right? It's kind of a power thing. It's it's powerful feeling. And I had done this retreat and I was just saying, you know, when you do the, when I was doing the retreat, it was a bunch of us. And we talked about it afterwards. There was a couple other people, one lady on one side, one lady on the other, and we were doing our mantras. And we both, we all talked about the experience afterwards of feeling all of this energy of power mm -hmm. and force because there was emotion in it. We were all throwing ourselves into it. Maybe like it's even like a method acting thing or something, but you're throwing yourself into the experience. You know, and I, I could feel the power of it. And we were kind of joking, like we were like a little herd of like buffalo or buffalo headed, you know, like people in mm. this cold winter in Ann Arbor, like doing this thing. But there was a lot of power that we all felt, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was talking with in, in Arbor with the lady there and I was like, yeah, you have to feel the emotion. And she was like, you know, you're right. Sometimes we don't think about that. We do it too dry. Mm. So when you do the maternal Tara, you should feel those feelings of maternal love. Mm. When you do Yamantaka, you should try to feel the power of the Yamantaka, right? You're defending everything. You're trampling all the obstacles for everyone in the universe. Mm. If you do one of the passionate ones, you know, where it's more like a 
sexuality, love, and passion, you should try to feel those feelings. And that's been like part of, I'm, uh, you know, that's been part of my feeling of how this stuff has to be done, to be mm. honest. So I, I completely, that makes total sense to me. So Otherwise then, it's dry, you know what I mean? So mm. then that would give rise to this idea that like the connection of the mind to the external world via um, emotionality or some kind of, I don't want to say entertainment, that sounds bad, but we'll say focus. We'll use this. Yeah, I think that's right. Right. That whatever the vehicle for your focus is will help you engage more. And then probably these events might occur more regularly. And therefore, if you're going to the casino and you're super excited. <laughs> when you go to scratch off that lotto ticket. That's right. You got to see it. I have emotion yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's one of these funny things. But like, I think where it gets, we'll talk about maybe more next episode because then you got to bounce, but there'll be our lead in, right? Because I think what happens for Jung is the recognition of what's one of the most emotional experiences you're going to have in your whole life. Mm. Love. That connection between two beings is one of the most emotional experiences you're going to have. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? What does that tell you? And I think that's the place. I mean, I know you get a bounce, but I think that's the place where this picks up. Because he yeah. starts thinking, okay. I think he's also looking back at his own life by this point. And he's saying, sure. okay. He said the experience probably a lot of us have had, and we can share this when we start next episode, but you go into that world of like interpersonal connectivity and love and mm -hmm. the synchronicity can explode within that. Right. Well, because you're the, of the two beings involved, like start to get very, very intense. Your focus at that point is, is, is extremely high and acute all at the same time. Yeah, you know, and partly because you're practicing, I think being in tune with another being, Right your your awareness on bringing joy or pleasure or you know something you want to bring good feelings towards the you know person who is the object of your affection or attention you know and i think that subtlety because it is a subtlety you know it's how, how do you because you learn how to communicate uh, you know i mean I, i'm not telling you i'm just expressing yeah you know? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you learn how to communicate. I didn't feel like I was being lectured to. Or okay. Yeah. yeah. You learn how to communicate with your partner in, in nonverbal and more subtle ways. And well, probably a lot of us have had the experience of like, there's someone that you really feel close to and you kind of know what they're doing. Yeah. Even when they're not around you. Yeah. You know, like, you know what they're doing. So your Shen, your spirit, your mind, your consciousness is expanding out into a space beyond yourself. And I think that like more... doing a card experiment. No, but then <laughs> the more like a card you... experiment timed like a million. <laughs> the more that you do that, the more that you're in that state of connection with the field just in general. And so then I think yeah. the synchronicity synchronicities occur more because you're more willing to be sensitive. Yeah, I think that's right. Yep. And you're pro the, the, uh, worth exploring <laughs> young and love. <laughs> Next up, because it's a hell of a question. Yeah. Because even the like, we'll start with it next time, I guess. But even some of the most cynical, materialistic people I've met in my entire life know this experience. They feel experiences of synchronicity when they're dispassionately connected with another person. Mm. But your mind expands, right? It's consciousness expanding. So all, all of a sudden, you're connecting with the world around you in a different way in a more expansive interconnected way than you normally would. What entirely that means this will be a thing to explore. Yes. Yeah. It's a hell of a subject matter, but that's why we wanted to do it. You know, we wanted to do the whole thing of Jung 
and then we'll do the relationship part of him. But, you know, this is obviously a key point in this whole thing for him. Mm-hmm. All right. Very cool. You got a bounce. I know. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it just, it just brings up like, it. it brings up other ideas of people who are not in good relationships and they feel cut off to that. So they're probably more cut off to the world around them. You know, I think Jung thinks that. Yeah. I think yeah. he does think that, that you'll kind of end up not your, your, your Shen, your spirit, your mind, your consciousness will not have that expansive quality. Mm, that's it's a hell of a question that is interesting yeah. that's very yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll pick this up next time you know we'll see yeah, what yeah. kind of synchronicities come up um yeah but you know as always this is fun a little, little little whatever 25 minute blaster or whatever it was episode, so yeah mm-hmm. so yeah we'll hope, we'll hope we hope you guys enjoyed as always you know hit us up gin and tantra at gmail.com instagram gin and tantra youtube comments facebook gin and tantra uh eric baker daniel domalekny leave a review on apple Podcasts. if you know us hit us up directly and say you suck or you're awesome or we love you or we don't but you know all that psycho emotional energy we absorb it and we transmute it and we put it back out into the world and synchronistically uh, speaking and then, synchronistically yeah. speaking via our words and our energy via the throat chakra or chakra, as some people call it. <laughs> you really went for this in this outro because the other one was kind of like, so you're like, nah, I'm, I'm going for it. Yeah, but see, so it's even because the last time your intro was good and my outro was bad. This time the intro was bad, but the outro was good. One day we'll get it 100%. No, not no, really. we won't. No, intentionally not because then we're done at that point. When it, when it's that tight, forget it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and no one's right. rating this, so we're good. So anyways, well, to be continued, it's a hell of a subject, man. That's it. Eric, thank you so much. Yeah. Audience. Yeah, no. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Um, Yeah, hit us up. We'll talk soon. Peace. to get together.